0: Clean listeners, welcome to the 74th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, we'll be diving into a few updates related to the status of the rooftop solar market moving forward, especially given the recent North Carolina Supreme Court ruling. We also check in on the status of net metering in the state since the settlement agreement was filed with the North Carolina Utilities Commission last fall and when we can or may expect changes in the market moving forward. So if rooftop solar is your jam, then this episode is for you. Before we talk to our guests, though, we have a few announcements to share. First up, this week, word of a clean energy deal struck between Senators Manchin and Schumer have the internet ablaze after a potential agreement was seemingly dead until the out of the blue announcement was made by Manchin's office late afternoon on July 27th. The $369 billion deal, which is slated to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 40%, would be one of the largest investments made by the federal government in the clean energy sector ever. Some of the provisions in the agreement include a 10-year extension of the Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit, which was set to expire in 2024, a $4,000 tax credit for used electric vehicles, and a $7,500 tax credit for new electric vehicles, $40 billion in production tax credits to boost U.S. manufacturing of solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, and mineral processes, a $10 billion investment tax credit to build clean energy technology manufacturing facilities, and $27 billion for a green bank. To read about the other provisions included in the bill language, we've included a link to a story from the Washington Post. As folks continue to parse through the 700-plus page document, I'm sure we'll have more updates on what's included in the bill in future episodes. Next up, I wanted to share that NCSEA, along with our partners at the Southern Environmental Law Center, the Natural Resources Defense Council, Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, and the Sierra Club, all filed our own proposed carbon plan modeling with the North Carolina Utilities Commission back on July 20th outlining a plan that reaches the legislative mandate of 70% carbon emissions reductions by 2030 and carbon neutrality by 2050. When comparing this plan to Duke's proposed scenarios, the modeling showed a 2-7% cost savings by 2030 and 15-19% cost savings by 2050, which surmounts to between $700 million and $2.4 billion by 2030. Further, the model does not propose any new combined cycle or combustion turbine natural gas units, while relying less on unproven technologies like small modular nuclear reactors and hydrogen. The plan also outlines much more deployment of proven technologies like solar storage and wind. In fact, the modeling selects 7.2 gigawatts of solar and 5.6 gigawatts of storage by 2030 as the most cost-effective pathway to meet the emissions reduction requirements. I've included a link to the press release and modeling in the show notes of today's episode. Okay, on to the show. As we mentioned, there have been a lot of updates in the rooftop solar industry over the past six to seven months, so this is our opportunity to level set and talk about where we currently stand as it relates to the topics of net metering and HOAs. So if you're in the market for solar, a solar installer, or someone who wants to know what's going on in the industry, I'd highly recommend paying attention during this conversation. With that, on to today's episode Clean energy. Clean, Clean,
1: Clean, Queen, Clean energy.
0: And our guest on the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast is a senior attorney with the Southern Environmental Law Center, a nonprofit environmental organization dedicated to the protection of natural resources and communities in a six-state region of the Southeast. SELC partners with over 150 national and local groups to achieve its goals and works in all three branches of government. Our guest leads SELC's Regional Solar Power Initiative, promoting clean, renewable solar power across the Southeast. She received her law degree with honors from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and her work is based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Our guest serves on the Green E Governance Board and the North Carolina Conservation Network Board of Directors. Friends of the pot, please welcome Lauren Bowen, Senior Attorney with the Southern Environmental Law Center. Lauren, Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much. Happy to be here.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the Southern Environmental Law Center, the work you do and and more specifically some of your work with the organization?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Southern Environmental Law Center is a nonprofit, nonpartisan environmental legal advocacy organization. We are rooted in the South and we are focused in the South, though often with national impact. Uh, We work across all three branches of government, including pursuing litigation to pursue the basic right to clean air, clean water, and a livable climate and a healthy environment for all. I've been with Southern Environmental Law Center for 10 years now. I am from North Carolina, but I actually started out in our Atlanta office for my first few years at SCLC. Uh, When I moved back to North Carolina about eight years ago, I began working on solar energy issues And for about five years, I was focused on solar in North Carolina and South Carolina. And uh, then the past three years, I have led our regional solar initiative across our six-state region of the south. And our solar initiative in particular aims at accelerating the transition from fossil fuels to clean, renewable energy and aims to take down barriers to enable broad access to solar power.
0: And and for a little bit more background for our listeners, the Southern Environmental Law Center is a very close partner of NCSEA. Uh, we often work very closely with with your team and, and you specifically on a number of issues related to clean energy. We'll talk about some of those here a little bit later in this episode, but may, maybe most uh, notably for folks as of late uh we worked in partnership with your organization to make our carbon plan filing here within the past uh, couple of weeks. And we'll be diving into that topic here in the next few episodes. So uh, a little bit of a, uh, a teaser of what's to come. But to talk more about some of the the work that we do in partnership with your organization on the, the solar front. Uh, so I, I think a lot of people know that there have been some proposed changes to the way that the residential solar industry operates in North Carolina but really across the country at large. I mean, this is representative of of some trends that we're seeing, specifically looking at residential solar compensation. Uh, We've seen utilities going after net metering uh, in places like California, Nevada, Florida. The list goes on and on. And as we've mentioned previously on the podcast, North Carolina was required to revisit net metering via both House Bill 589 and 951 by 2027. Leading to a negotiated settlement agreement between a coalition of organizations, including ourselves and SCLC and Duke Energy. So we previously have taken a deep dive on the topic in past episodes, but it's been a little bit. So can you recap some of the provisions of that agreement for our listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I should at the outset also say Southern Environmental Law Center is representing two other organizations. We're representing as their lawyers in the pending North Carolina Utilities Commission proceedings, um, particularly Southern Alliance for Clean Energy and Vote Solar. So just want to make that representation clear uh, in the pending net metering dockets before the commission. But yeah, absolutely happy to recap some of the provisions of the net metering agreement reached by some of those organizations you mentioned um, and, and that I also referenced and Duke Energy. You know, the primary shift is a from a flat one-to-one retail rate net metering compensation, sort of your classical uh, or classic net energy metering to a time of use based netting policy and so including different times of day and times of year-based structure and netting within those time of use Windows. Then other components include a minimum bill for solar customers, uh, some non-bypassable charges and a fee for unusually large systems. It's not going to apply to most residential rooftop solar customers. And then really importantly, the agreement also included a proposal for a rebate incentive for Duke Energy customers willing to participate in a Solar Plus Smart Thermostat program all of the components of that agreement are still pending before the North Carolina Utilities Commission. And one thing I'll add in terms of big picture, uh, I think it's clear from the organizations who came to this agreement and who filed the proposals before the Utilities Commission that really the driving force here is trying to align customer interests of those who want to go solar, but also the interest of decarbonizing the grid and reducing overall energy usage from fossil-based generating plants, but also you're know, reducing peak energy demand and avoiding the need for, um, for example, new gas peakers, which I know you've talked about on other episodes of the podcast. So really looking for not just encouraging investment in solar, but solar plus, you know, solar plus smart thermostats, solar plus battery storage and encouraging energy customers to really um, think deeply about their energy usage and manage it in a smart way that that helps everyone.
0: And I think an important consideration too with regards to the incentive program is that this would be a guaranteed incentive for everybody participating as opposed to the current lottery system in which we've seen less than 10% of applicants actually receive that rebate. Uh, So that's a, a huge win if we were to move in that direction. And as you mentioned, this agreement also uh, opens up the door for other technologies like residential storage. It also helps to incentivize EV charging. But the other side of the the coin here, I, I do get asked on occasion. You know, why is it that we can't continue net metering as it currently exists in the state? It's really led to the rooftop solar industry growing and thriving, and it's it seems to be an agreement that. Uh, customers have really been able to benefit and been able to pencil out the cost of their their solar system. So, so why isn't why is it that we can't continue net metering as it currently exists?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a great question, and you know we have advocated uh, for years for smart retail rate net metering policies, including one to one retail rate your classic net energy metering policy because we know it works and it's simple, it's easy for customers to understand. At the same time, like it or not, we had the North Carolina General Assembly directing change to net energy metering policies in the state and directing the Utilities Commission to oversee that change. And so, um, you know, I do think that this net metering review and changes were bound to happen, as you mentioned earlier, we're seeing these changes throughout the country, and so I think, the um, you know, again, the goal here of the participants in the settlement uh, was to find some sort of win-win solution where we can retain a value proposition for rooftop solar customers, but do it in a way that utility can be on board with and that helps the grid as a whole in our decarbonization goals.
0: And we've seen in other states, I believe it was Nevada where it, it resulted in a worst case scenario in which the utility completely eroded net metering to the point of just re- receiving avoided cost uh, compensation for rooftop solar customers. And that led to uh, you know the widespread pullout of rooftop solar from the state um, and having to then kind of reverse course. And so obviously as a, our coalition, Uh, we we really wanted to try to avoid that scenario, worst case scenario of having our backs against the wall in 2027 and seeing a structure that could really erode the rooftop solar industry as it currently exists. And that's, you know, I think always a part of negotiations and entering into settlements, right, is we might not get everything that we want, but I think this could be a, you know, a good direction for the rooftop solar industry moving forward. So since that original agreement was filed, We've actually seen an amended agreement reached between the utility and three residential solar installers, including Southern Energy Management, Yes Solar Solutions, and Sundance. So can you quickly provide an update on what's included in this amended agreement?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this amended agreement provides more of a glide path or transition rate. I believe in the, the actual stipulated agreement, they call it a bridge rate to Ease the transition from our existing one to one retail rate net metering policy for Duke Energy customers in North Carolina um, to ease that transition over to the time of use based rates, which is, you know, admittedly more complex and a little, a little harder for customers to wrap their heads around or understand. So the installers and Duke came to this agreement um, setting forth this bridge rate to ease this transition. And so that bridge rate includes monthly netting at a flat retail rate, so more similar to the flat retail rate net energy metering that we have currently. The netting is done over the course of the month, and then the exports at the end of that month are credited at what's called the avoided cost rate or the wholesale energy rates. There's some other components that are the same as the underlying net metering transition agreement, including the monthly minimum bill, But there is also a provision to exempt low-income customers from the monthly minimum bill. So that should help to further increase uh, access for those of more modest means who want to go solar. There are some timing provisions to be aware of. So this glide path rate would be open from, as proposed, from 2023 to 2026, subject to some annual capacity caps for for Duke Energy Carolinas and Duke Energy Progress. Um, And there's also provision for 15 year grandfathering for those customers who sign up for these rates. There are also some limitations around program availability tied to incentives. So basically what the installers and Duke agreed to is if the solar and smart thermostat incentive program gets approved, that would then limit eligibility for Duke's electric customers who qualify that program, it would limit their availability to use this bridge rate. In other words, they couldn't use the bridge rate if they are allowed to take advantage of the Solar Plus Smart Thermostat rebate incentive program. And then similarly, they the installers in Duke reached an agreement around um, additional solar incentives. Uh, they actually include a, a cent per watt target of you know if Duke proposes and the commission approves, an additional incentive program that would come out to 60 cents per watt uh, incentive for future solar customers, then that could end the bridge rate availability early. So we could potentially see this bridge rate go away prior to 2026.
0: So what does timing look like overall uh, with both of these agreements having been filed at the North Carolina Utilities Commission? So when could we expect to see some order coming from the commission that would dictate how we're moving forward uh, with uh, rooftop solar compensation, especially given that Duke's current rebate program is set to expire at the end of this year?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Matt. Um, You know, the commission has a lot on its plate right now. I know you've been covering the carbon plan on this podcast. Uh, There are many other dockets pending. We're waiting on avoided cost orders and others Um, so i think there's no shortage of proceedings and issues for taking up the commission's attention right now Um, certainly several parties to the pending net metering transition rate uh, proceeding have flagged this issue of the rebates the current rebates um, expiring at the end of this year and so Have urged the commission to not wait too long to rule on the proposals before them. At the same time, you've got this 2027 provision allowing existing net metering rates to be taken advantage of up till 2027, unless new rates get in put into effect before then. So there's some tension between that longer time horizon and some parties pointing to that, like we've got lots of time, but then also others like NCSEA and SCLC on behalf of our clients saying, well, that's true. We've got a 2027 time horizon, but the industry needs to know what's happening before then. And also you've got the existing rebate program expiring at the end of 2022 in just a few months. And so we really need to be mindful of, of what comes next and making sure we've got a plan in place going forward.
0: And so just to clarify, if we don't necessarily receive an order before the end of this year, given you know the different priorities on the commission's plate, especially given the legislative order to draft a carbon plan before December 31st, would that mean that net metering would continue as it currently exists just without a rebate program in place? And then If we were to receive some sort of order into next year, I mean, what could we expect in in terms of the runway that we would have from the commission before we'd have to implement a new rate structure?
1: Yeah, um, great question. So uh, I, I believe you're right that if we the parties in the proceedings who reached the settlement agreements with Duke asked for implementation dates at the beginning of 2023. If the commission doesn't rule by then, I believe you're exactly right. I think we'll just continue to see the existing Duke Energy one-to-one flat rate um, policy continuing onward, but without the rebate incentives, given their statutory expiration date of the end of this year. In terms of you know what the commission would do at that point of, of start date, it's just up in the air and unknown because again, you know, the parties have requested that beginning of 2023 start date, but the commission could certainly direct a different start date than that. The other thing I'll mention in terms of status update is that the Smart Saver solar incentive or the solar and smart thermostat program, that application is pending before the commission and has been fully briefed. All the comments are in. So that one is just waiting on a commission decision. On the underlying net energy metering transition to time of use rates application. Uh, in that proceeding, it's worth noting that there is a pending request for an evidentiary hearing, and some of the parties have weighed in on that, and the commission has not yet ruled on, um, on that motion. And so what we'll see most likely before we get a full commission order on the application is, is a interim ruling on whether the commission would like an evidentiary hearing or not.
0: So I think it's important to clarify, if I'm understanding correctly, that both the incentive and the underlying rate structure are occurring in two different proceedings with the commission and might occur on a little bit different timeline and may see you know an approval or uh you know amended approval or order uh depending on how the commission interprets both of those is that right
1: yes that's right so importantly these um these two pending proposals are very um, integrally linked, and they are part of a package package deal um, reached by the settling parties. But they are um, proceeding for commission approval in two different dockets.
0: We'll be sure to provide updates for our listeners on both of those as we hear back from the commission. On another note, we've seen some pretty big updates as it relates to HOAs and residential solar For level setting, can you give us the landscape of residential solar and the ability of HOAs to prevent or restrict solar installations in the state?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So North Carolina has for years been at the top of the pack or near the top of the pack for installed solar capacity at times we've only been behind california which is pretty remarkable um, but as you know that's been mostly due to utility scale solar and so we've been further behind on rooftop solar installations i believe now we're at over what, 20,000 systems, even closer to 30,000 at this point. Um, And that's been helped over the years by the state tax credit, and then the Duke Energy rebates that we referred to earlier. But there have also been barriers to increasing our ranking in terms of residential solar installations and barriers to increasing access to those who wanna go solar. And so one of those primary barriers in North Carolina is what homeowners associations have been doing in terms of restricting solar panels on people's homes. So by way of background in 2007, the North County General Assembly passed what we call the solar access law that was meant to limit what homeowners associations can do in terms of restricting solar panels on people's homes in North Carolina. That being said, there are some exceptions to the general rule that says an HOA can't restrict what uh, people do in terms of installing rooftop solar. And some of those exceptions have been a source of maybe ambiguity or confusion between homeowners and their homeowners associations about what exactly, uh, what exactly they can and can't do.
0: And, I think it's important to note that this overall has been a a real challenge to the rooftop solar market in North Carolina. You know, in in conversations that I've had with residential installers, I've heard up to 30% of potential interested customers that want to move forward with rooftop solar are halted in their tracks by their HOAs. And 40% of all homeowners in North Carolina fall within HOA jurisdiction. So there's a huge portion of the market in the state here that you know falls under the guidance of HOA covenants. And so this is a, a really, really important topic for installers and homeowners alike. So there's been some recent updates on this front. As we recently saw a ruling from the North Carolina Supreme Court regarding a specific instance of a homeowner challenging their HOA regarding the installation of a PV system. Can you provide some background on the case and the ruling that we recently saw?
1: Yes. So there were some homeowners in a subdivision in Raleigh, North Carolina, who installed solar and then heard from their homeowners association through what's called an architectural review committee that many HOAs have. And these ARCs, you know, control or have to often approve or disapprove of changes that homeowners are making to their homes and their properties. Um, So these homeowners in Raleigh heard from their ARC and the HOA that the solar panels that they had installed, that the HOA was not going to allow them on the front of their home. And that they could move them to the back of their home if they wanted to, but they were not going to be allowed to have them on the front of the home, even though they had already been installed. And the problem with moving the solar panels to the back of their home is, as you know, roof orientation is really important for solar panels. And moving the panels to the back of their home would have made having the solar panels pointless. It just would have impacted the productivity so much that it wouldn't have made sense for them to have the solar panels on their roof. So that's sort of the background of what happened between these Raleigh homeowners and their HOA. So the homeowners said, we're not going to take our panels down and we're going to leave them up on the front of the home. The HOA ended up suing them. They put a lien on their property and they fined them significantly every day because of the solar panels put on their rooftop. And so the this case, uh, Belmont v. Farwigs, made its way up through the North Carolina court system. And the Court of Appeals initially ruled in favor of the HOA and said the HOA and its ARC, its Architectural Review Committee, could tell the Farwigs to move their panels or take them down. And it went all the way up to the North Carolina Supreme Court and we now have a North Carolina Supreme Court ruling interpreting this 2007 solar access law that limits what HOAs can do in terms of restricting rooftop solar. And in terms of our involvement in the case, Southern Environmental Law Center was involved representing North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association and its members as um, filing a friend-of-the-court brief Uh, with the North Carolina Supreme Court. So weighing in for the court and explaining, um, you know, this, this is an issue. HOA restrictions of rooftop solar is an issue beyond just these homeowners in Raleigh. It's something that is seen throughout the state and is a significant barrier to rooftop solar. And in fact, some solar companies have whole divisions devoted now to helping their customers actually navigate HOA restrictions on rooftop solar.
0: So let's dive into the details of of this ruling a little bit. Does this now mean that any homeowner in the state of North Carolina who wants to install solar that maybe previously had some issues with their HOA could move forward with installing?
1: Yeah, I'd say it's a little more nuanced than that. So really what the court held was that an HOA can't rely on a broad grant of authority to an architectural review committee to restrict or prohibit placement of rooftop solar panels. They can't just say, okay, our restrictive covenants have you know, this broad grant of authority to an architectural review committee to um, uh, accept or reject any sort of modifications to a home. The HOA can't rely on that kind of general language to have their architectural review committee reject solar panels or reject solar panel panels on the public facing front of a house. They can't use that broad grant of discretion to do that. Um, so that, that that should help a lot of homeowners because I think that's in practice what's seen, Right, is that you have architectural review committees, they have different members at the different times, they may be changing policies from year to year, they may not have a written policy at all, And so homeowners are stuck with this sort of arbitrary enforcement about can they have solar panels and which side of the House can the solar panels be located on so so again what the Supreme Court North Carolina Supreme Court held in this case was that an HOA can't use a broad grant of discretion to an architecture review committee to prohibit solar panels or say they can only be located on one side of the home now the other interesting thing about the court's opinion was they said in this case, the HOA also could not rely on a different part of the solar access law that says HOAs are allowed to tell you which side of the roof or which side of the home you know you can put your panels on, so long as it doesn't have the effect of prohibiting the installation of solar power. And so that was at issue in this case, right? Because the Farwigs have put them on one side of their home, because of the the ability of solar to produce on that that orientation of their rooftop. But then the HOA said, well, you can move them to the back of the house. And they said, well, it doesn't. it just doesn't work in terms of solar production. And so that was at issue here. And the court importantly said that exception of the HOA being able to regulate placement of the panels, the HOA couldn't use that exception. They couldn't take advantage of it in this case because moving the panels to the back of the house would have. Um, reduce the productivity in a way that would have made the panels pointless.
0: So with this specific ruling, I know that the bigger picture here was around, you know, arbitrary sort of guidelines or rulings through the Architectural Review Committee. But what about if a HOA has explicit covenants on the books restricting placement of panels from a public thoroughfare?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that is still um that is still an exception that's allowed under the state solar access law that was passed back in in 2007. Um you know there are some specific limitations there. Um for example, yes it refers the law refers to the facade of a structure that faces areas open to common or Public access. Um, But again, importantly, and as you point out, the North County Supreme Court says that kind of a restriction, it's got to be in writing. It's got to be in your covenants in a way that homeowners actually have notice that this is a prohibition and that you, you know, you HOA are taking advantage of that prohibition um, under the solar access law.
0: And so in that case, if an HOA does not yet necessarily have a covenant on the books restricting the placement of solar. They would then have to introduce that covenant, receive a majority vote of approval from homeowners within that community. Um, So there is still the possibility of new covenants coming into place restricting the placement of solar. But at the same time, uh, there's also some legislation currently sitting in the General Assembly designed to address just that. Is that something that you can tell us a little bit more about as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to talk about pending legislation and also just to to before I do, just to round out, you know, some thoughts on the court's ruling. It's it's again now what they've done is reduce some of that ambiguity and arbitrariness of what homeowner's associations were doing so that now at least a homeowner they're moving into a new neighborhood Maybe they could actually see in the covenants that, you know, in the restrictive covenants for the neighborhood that there was some limitation on solar and they can decide whether to move there or not. And instead of having these more arbitrary decisions coming down from an architecture review committee where homeowners don't really have notice of what restrictions uh, may be imposed in terms of rooftop solar in their neighborhood. And then you're exactly right. There's some pending legislation uh, in the North Carolina General Assembly I believe it's House Bill 842, and that would further open up access to solar and limit what HOAs can do in terms of prohibiting or restricting the location of rooftop solar panels. In particular, you know, the proposed legislation gets at this issue of productivity of solar panels and. You know, HOA is limiting the placement of solar panels and and the link to what the legislation refers to as operating efficiency of the solar collector. So it pegs this with look, if an HOA is telling a homeowner to move their panels or to site them on a different side of the home, if the effect of that is to reduce the operating efficiency of the solar panels by more than 10% of the amount originally specified for the installation, then the HOA could not use this exception, you know, allowing them to regulate placement of the panels. So that's an important part of the uh, pending legislation. And then also the bill would get rid of that prohibition provision that says an HOA, um, if they put it in writing, can completely prohibit solar panels that are facing open or common or public access areas.
0: The the sort of visual reference that I associate with what's happened with, with solar and HOAs in North Carolina is almost like the baking of a multi-layered cake in which the, the solar access law back in 2007 was that first layer of the cake really preventing um, the outright denial of solar via HOAs. And then the most recent decision that we received from the Supreme Court was that next level, reducing some of that ambiguity through the Architectural Review Committee. And then if we were to see HB 842 pass, that would be that, that top layer of the cake there, which would prevent HOAs from instilling new covenants, reducing the operating efficiency of these uh, solar panels on, on roofs. And so, you know, with all of that combined together, that really opens up the door for homeowners in North Carolina who do want to install solar to be able to do so. And so I think one thing that we've talked about previously to to our conversation here today is this recent Supreme Court ruling is a big win for property rights in North Carolina. As a homeowner, to be able to install solar if you would like to do so, to be able to have that ability is big. And so I know we were excited about the most recent ruling and again, this, this continues to pave the path for the success of residential solar in North Carolina. And as you mentioned earlier, we've already surpassed 20,000 residential solar installations in the state uh, and getting closer to that 30,000 mark. And I'm hoping in the next few years, we'll see that, you know, exceed 50,000 and um, limiting restrictions from HOAs is, is a piece of that equation. So. Warren, uh, I, I really do want to thank you for for joining us on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast. It was really insightful, as I know a lot of people have been wondering about specifically the the future of net metering and these HOA court rulings that we've recently received. And so this will be incredibly enlightening as to what to to foresee in the future of the rooftop solar industry. So, Warren, thanks so much for joining on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast.
1: Happy to do it. Thanks, Matt.
0: My key takeaway from today's episode is the positive momentum we're seeing for homeowners' property rights here in the state of North Carolina. With the recent ruling from the North Carolina Supreme Court, we're moving closer to the point where if someone wants to participate in the clean energy economy by installing solar on their roof, HOAs won't necessarily be an inhibiting factor. Now, there are still a few hurdles we'd have to clear before that point, like the passage of House Bill 842. But nonetheless, this is great news for many homeowners facing challenges from HOAs while pursuing rooftop solar installations. Stay tuned as we'll look to provide updates on pending legislation during next year's long legislative session. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout at Matt Abel for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 74 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.